0: All right, tonight we start talking about the source of courage. So we've we've looked at who courage is, the Lord who is a warrior. Now now we're turning to ask the question how do we have gospel centered courage, which is defined on the top of page 44? Thank you, Maggie. Gospel centered courage is the resolve to live as a follower disciple of Christ in the midst of difficulty with strength, daring, and confidence. So I'm answering the question tonight, where does this courage come from? So courage is a gift from God. God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. This is 2 Timothy one seven. So uh, <clears throat> when I uh, met C- Celeste and... Uh, um, started moving toward a relationship with her. I was uh, uh, invited to her house, and one of the things that were off limits was the backside of the house. I was not allowed in her bedroom ever. And I happened to be there at a time when I had to change clothes, and I went into her room and posted in a prominent place uh, above her bed. So I'm, I'm still learning the Bible, right? was this verse. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, of power, love, and a sound mind. And uh, I watched my wife as a high school kid live that. Live that kind of life. Uh, Let's just say she wasn't friends with me while we were in high school. We'll leave it right there. That's another story for another time. But it is possible to live this out because it's true. This is God's gift it says in second timothy 1 9 who saved us and called us this is god who has saved us and called us to a holy calling not because of our works but because of our own purpose and grace which he gave us in christ jesus before the ages began So this is not the result of anything in us or anything that has been true of our past. It's not that we measured up enough for God to give us. It is by his grace. I mean, it is undeserved that he has both saved us and called us to this holy calling that is to follow him with our lives. And for his purpose and grace, he has given us not a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a self-control. So the better question to ask is, Who did he give us? And the answer is God the Holy Spirit. Now, I wish I hadn't written that, God's Holy Spirit. That just doesn't come out right, and I try to fix that when I write it that way. It's God the Holy Spirit. We're talking about the third person of the Trinity. Verse 14 of 2 Timothy 1. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So who's us in this verse? By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Only Christians. So this is exclusive to believers. The Holy Spirit only dwells within the believer. The good deposit that is entrusted to us. Now we're reading from Romans 8. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. So there are some of you in this room, the Spirit of God does not dwell in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Now that, I hope, is sobering you up, given the content of what we've considered the last two days, that if, if, if you're not a Christian, you don't belong to him, and in fact, the scripture teaches you're in opposition to him. I would not be want to be in an opposition to the warrior. If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit of life is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit. Now here's what's being said. The fact that Christ is risen, it is the risen Christ who lives in you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that saves you and it is the same power that lives within you. So if, if that power is able to raise Jesus from the dead, do you think that's enough power to give you courage? This isn't Sunday school, yes, Jesus answer. I mean, this is crucial. Can you really have courage to live for Christ? The answer is, if you're in Christ, you already have it. He's already given it to you. The spirit lives in you. So let's talk about what it's not. He's not giving us a spirit of fear. So courage is not fear. Second Timothy 2.1. This is a trustworthy saying. For if we have die, died with him, we will also live with him. So if If our old life is gone and new life has come through Christ, we will live with him. The resurrected power of Christ is in us. So we have nothing to fear. Nothing. Very popular several years ago, the no fear shirts and hats and all that other stuff. The only people that really can say they have no fear are believers. There's nothing. We have nothing to fear. Christ is in us. Christ holds the future. So we should not have a spirit of fear. Now, I want to address three areas that I see people in general, but particularly people between the ages of 13 and 25 struggle. And I want to think about what courage is not. So first, courage is not being paralyzed by the unknown. Courage is not being paralyzed by the unknown. So I I looked up phobias. So, So these phobias kept people... From going to the beach today. Let's see if you can guess what they are. First one's easy. Aquaphobia. The fear of water. Heliophobia. It's fear of the sun. Oh, which, by the way, some of you have asked, what's this big ugly dot here and here? That's for when I was your age and I didn't wear uh, sunscreen on the beach? It's so that's skin cancer. Isn't it lovely? Got it burned off Friday. And I have a big massive scar from this eyelid all the way down to this corner of my cheek. You can't see it because I got a good plastic surgeon. That was not fun. Wear sunscreen. One day you'll be an old person like me going, I was ignorant. And I remember that preacher who stood up with the big skin cancer on his face and said, I ought to wear it. Anyway, by the way, uh, I was in the uh, dermatologist office and a lady came in without a nose. Oh yeah, there you go. That'll motivate you to wear some sunscreen right there. I'm just not kidding you, one second. So fear of the sun. I'm not afraid of it. I just respect it. (laughs) Somophobia. Nope. Fear of waves. All right, these are dorm fears. I got to practice this one first. Bromo bromidrosophobia. bromidrosophobia. This this happens in all the boys' dorms. This is the fear of body odor. <laughs> or actually, this is what keeps the girls from going over to the boys' dorm. This is when somebody goes to the bathroom, and well, anyway, this is sobophobia. This is the fear of feces. This is when somebody leaves it in the commode, and literally a couple years ago, it's probably five or six years ago, we had a there was a commode in a girls' dorm nobody would use because it was full. Flush it. It's not going to jump out on you, okay? Just put it down. Now some of you panic every time I get up here because you have homophobia. It's the fear of sermons. People have this every Sunday. It's hilarious. As soon as I get up and preach there, people go to the bathroom. I always think about this phobia. Phobias are fear of of unknown or what could be. and These kind of things literally keep people from leaving their house. They keep people from doing anything. One of the reasons we started the Great Commission Team is to confront the fear of the unknown. It's, it's to put people in situations where they had to do things without their mama around, to where they had to make some decisions. One of the things, we, we've been so scared with your generation, we've been too scared to let you try anything. And that's carried over in adult life to where you have a, a, a lot of adults who are afraid to try something. So let's read about a young woman. She was probably in her early 20s. Her name was Esther. And Esther was chosen to be the queen of Persia. She's one of the exiled uh, Jews. And things went down to where she had an opportunity to save her people from being annihilated. Esther told them to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days For three days, night or day, I and my young woman will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. See, even though she was the queen, it was not legal for her to go and ask the king anything without the king requesting her into his presence. But she made a decision that even though she didn't know what was going to happen, even if she died, she was going to step forward and do the right thing. Let me, just, let me just say two things clearly. If God's made it clear in his word for you to do it, you got to do it. You, you don't say, well, that could mean if God's made it clear, you do it and you trust him with the results. Next, courage is not giving up in the face of hardship. Why is Navy SEAL training so difficult? Ever thought about it? Why is it so difficult? It's, a mind, it's not a mind game. Huh? It's not, it's not really about weeding people out either. That's part of it. Think for a minute. Why is it so hard? That's exactly right. So when they are in a situation to where they are faced with something that they think they cannot handle, they won't give up. They won't stop. Now, would you be surprised it's getting hard now to find Navy SEALs? Because we're raising more and more people now that when it gets hard, you quit. You go find something else. You, you, you come up with 40 excuses. Why? Listen, there are hard things in life. So, so my kids know not to do this. I hope your parents won't. And my kids call me from college and say, well, this calculus class is really hard. I'm going to drop it. Sorry. Done paid for it. We don't play that game in our house. And if you, you're playing that game, I'm telling you, you're setting yourself up for when it gets hard with your husband or your wife, or it gets hard with your kids, or it gets hard on your job, that you throw up your hands, well, it's hard. Things are hard. And one of the things that God has put in the life of believers is the courage to face hardship and to not give up. This is Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me, so God's with me, but don't don't stop there. For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So God's word corrects me and keeps me and you in line following after him because here's what we want to do. We want to lay down and quit or we want to wander off. So it's not just to remember God's with us, it's that God is keeping us moving forward and the courage to not stop. Last, courage is not afraid of failure. So there's two reasons you drop calculus. Oh, now I'm going to go from preaching to meddling. There are two reasons you drop calculus. It's either hard or or you've never made a B. Bless your little heart. I can't wait till you get the college professor who does not give an A regardless of who you are and who your mama is and what you made in high school because they don't care. They don't care. In fact, that's their mission in life, to give you a bad grade. You know why? Because they know you need a little bit of humility about yourself, that you need to be brought down a notch or two. And I I want to tell you something. This, This mentality that you've got to be the best or you don't do it is affecting a lot of areas of your life that you're not even realizing. And what you're setting yourself up for, if that's how you're living, is you're so scared you might fail at something that you never try something that you know that you're not going to succeed at. Now, (laughs) I love 2 Corinthians 11. This is Paul's resume. This is his pastoral ministry resume. So let's just read this. So let's imagine we're about to interview Paul to be head of our missions department at Parkwood. So here's his resume. You ready? Five times I received the hands of the Jews, the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked a day and a night. I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and toil and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there was the daily pressure on me, or of my anxiety for all the churches, <laughs> I can just hear hear Paul at a, at, a, at, a, at a Baptist church prayer meeting with tears. I think it's God's will I get out. Do y'all understand everything's happened to me? God, It must be God's will I get out of this. No. That's not how Paul handled things. Paul didn't look at it and say, it's hard, so it's time for me to quit. Paul looked at the hard as this verse 29. Who is weak and I am not weak. Who is made to f- fall and I am not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my What? That is countercultural. Courage is embracing the fact that you don't have enough to do it. That you, on your own, will fail. And you may experience setbacks and apparent failures, but God who is in you is doing more than you can see, than you can ask or imagine. So that's what courage is not, then what is courage? For God gave us a spirit, not a fear, so God gave us a spirit of power, love, and self-control. So first, courage is power. Now, I do not mean, the Bible does not mean dominance or arrogance. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So the when the Spirit of God comes upon you, literally in you, on you. Now, why is the power of God coming on God's people? What's the purpose here? Let's just summarize it for me. Don't read it back to me. Why? Why is God's power on his people? So he spread the gospel. Say it another way. Be witnesses. Say it another way. Let's just say it simply this way. To make him known. God gives power to his people to make him known. For I am not ashamed, Romans 1:16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So it's the power of God to save and the power of God that saves me then makes me unashamed. In other words, the gospel gives courage you probably heard me say this. You've been around park for very long. I'm just surprised at how often I get this. Oh, man, I can't believe you said that. You know, they're probably going to run you off around here. Okay. Okay. So, so if I stand up and say what the Bible says and the church runs me off, who's that on, me or them? Huh? It's on them, not me. And I decided a long time ago when I was 18 years old, that God would take care of me the rest of my life, whatever that meant. And I was going to stand up, and if it was in the book, I was going to say what was in the book, and I was going to say it as clearly and as carefully as I could because God has given me a spirit of power. But he's also, I had to learn this when I was in my 20s, he's also given me a spirit of love. So courage is not being mean. Courage is love. Now, this is the distinct thing about the follower of Jesus. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So here's one of the ways you know you're a Christian, that you have love for people, particularly that you have love for God's people. 1 John 4, 18. There is no what in love? Fear. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. All right. I don't have my phone up here. I don't want it. How how many of you have ever said anything over your cell phone that you wouldn't say face-to-face to to somebody? Come on, raise your hand. There you go. This this is one of the, 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 the things that just perplexes my brain. That you'll fire something off, say it, knowing that somebody could screenshot this rascal and send it all over the world. Why do we feel more confident doing it that way? Why? You're not face-to-face, not personal, what else? Somebody say something else? They can't do anything to you. There you go. There you go. Can't do anything to you. So you're going to just throw it out there and, and say it to somebody. Perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with, what's the next word? Punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. So we don't have to fear God because God has moved toward us in love through Christ. And as we repent of our sin and trust in Christ, we have nothing to fear. Now here's what he's saying because he's first loved us. Now we put ourselves out there with other people. We we move toward people and love them. Now, I, I just wanna say this clearly to you. Every person in this room Even the cockiest rascal in this room desperately wants to be loved. Every one of you. And you need to know that there are some broken people in this room who desperately need to be loved. And here's what makes... Christian's different. God gives us the courage to put ourselves out there with each other and love one another and to care for one another. Now, let me ask a question right here. I'm at the pause button because sometimes people hear you and you say something you're not saying. Am I saying that God's saying we need to be best friends with everybody in the youth group? No. No. One of the things I've always pushed back to is the use of the word clicks. So clicks means, therefore, if you take clicks to its nth degree in a group like this, that means nobody can have a best friend. Ever thought about it this way? Means nobody can. Because if we get really close to one another on a deep level, then we've become a click. A click, let's be careful with it. A click is an exclusive group of people that says, we like each other and we hate you. That's a click. We despise you. Now, here's what ought to happen in a group like this. So let me sum this up here for a second. There ought to be some deep love and some friendships that go places that are never going to happen in a small group. They're never going to happen together with 15 people. But with three or four of you, you're going to go places in your relationship with the Lord that you're not going to experience with many people. But when you come together in a place like this, you put yourselves out there and you love each other because that's courage. That's that's being Christ followers. That's loving each other as Jesus loved you. Last thing courage is. Courage is self-control. So why do people between the ages of 15 and 18 sin? I'll give you the first one. They want to. Okay? That is why. You know that, right? You sin because you want to, not because the devil made you do it. You did it because you wanted to. But let's go further. What, what, what psychologically, what, what kind of thoughts were going through somebody's mind or going through somebody's mind when they, not just one time sin, but when they get in a pattern of sin? Why are they doing it? What, what's driving them? What's driven you before? Let's answer my question now. Come on. They want to fit in or peer pressure. All right, hold, hold on, Fun. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. So you want, you want to fit in. So because you want to fit in, you do things you know you ought not to do, you want to do. All right, <clears throat> so it's fun. So what's fun? Where's fun, dude? It's fun. So tell me why, why is it fun? I, we're, I think we're saying close to the same thing. What, what is fun about it? The what? The defiance. So it's the adrenaline rush you get for doing it. But do you ever get the adrenaline rush that you don't say, "Hey, man, did you see me do that? You, you tracking with me?" We always want somebody else to say, "What? What's this?" We may not say it out loud, but when we do something, we want other people. This is what's driving Snapchat. Watch me sin. I'll fly it up there for 10 seconds. Watch this. Bam. Watch me. Look. This, this desire is out there. Now, here's what courage is courage is not the desire to fit in, it's not the fear of other people. I'll put another reason people sin. People sin because they don't want to look weird. <laughs> oh, Lord. I'm fighting an illustration back in my head. See, sometimes I talk back to myself and say, that would be dumb, don't say that. So I fought it off, here we go. <laughs> Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her, for as it's written, the two will become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him, so this, this is back to the argument that the Spirit of God is in you. Make sure you're getting this. So in the context of talking about sexual immorality, it's saying to the Christian, hey, Spirit of God's in you to so wake up to this fact. Flee from sexual immorality for every person, every, every other sin a person commits outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. Now, the only way that's going to happen is if the spirit of self-control, the spirit who lives within you, that you rely on him to have self-control. Now, I'm I'm just going to say this, and I battled all day whether I was going to say it, so staff, don't panic. In the last five summers, we fired three young men who were serving here for the summer because of sexual sin. Three of them. Lack of self-control. God did not give you a spirit of lack of self-control. So I'm going to ask you a question. We're not going to answer this one out loud. i just going to ask you a question. How many of you worshiped in the temple of your flesh today? got you a little private time with your phone and searched you a little bit, get you a little worship going. You listen to me. That phone is not simply a means to sin. It is a gateway to hell. Because every one of these that we fired walked through the gateway. Every one of them. So, so when we challenge you, put your phone down, or when your parents challenge you to do that. So th- this just this, this really is kind of, do you know when self the Apple phone came out? Does anybody know? You think it's been here your whole life. It hadn't. 2006. Do you realize how fast the world has changed? I've been doing this a long time. I'm convinced of this. The number one thing that is affecting you is the lack of self-control with a phone, period. I am convinced of that. I'll die on that hill with you. Argue with me all night if you want to. That's your problem. You're going places and you're doing things with that that then is multiplying and taking you places that you don't need to be. God did not give you a spirit of a lack of self-control, and you better, you better find ways to get a handle on it, and you better do it now because you're going to end up, I, I don't know what's going to happen 20 years from now when, when, when you guys are when you're in your when you're mid-30s because lack of self-control is not just about being Christian. It's just about being a society. It's about being able to deal with each other And and I'm here today to tell you, God, if you're a Christian, God has not given you a spirit of lack of self-control. He's given you a spirit of self-control. Now, let's go to conclusion here. Where am I looking for courage? Psalm 121, one says, I lift up my eyes to the hills, and where does my help come from? Anybody ever seen The Sound of Music? Oh, there's a scene in there where the nuns gazing out the window, and she starts singing Psalm 121.1. right? Anybody remember this? She's totally taking it out of context, and she's misapplying the text because she's gazing up into the mountains as she sings this beautiful song as if help's coming from the mountains. That is not what the verse means. The verse means that you're down in the valley. You're in the midst of a battle, And you aren't looking up to the mountains to see if there's another army gonna come sweeping over the top to come help you. That's the the point of the psalm is your help's not coming from somebody, it's coming from someone. My help comes from the Lord. So, yes, you need accountability, yes. But that's ultimately not what you need. You need the Lord, and if you're a Christian, What did we start with? God is in you. He is in you, and he has given you what you need to live for him. Now, second thing. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So I'll die on this hill too. Those of you rejecting Jesus who grew up in this church, you're rejecting Jesus because your friends are more important. That's period. I'll die on that hill. You're scared to death. You're going to get rejected. You're a good church kid. You've heard that whole thing. That's what you're scared of. That's why you won't bow your knee to Christ. That's why you won't turn to him. I'm telling you that those who are in Christ, that God gives you what you need He is with you, and as a result, you will not fear, and you come to this point. What can a person do to me? What can they do to me? So I'm going to give you a story from my life, and then I'm going to show you a video. So six months after we moved here, we were at Tony's, and our best friends from home were with us. And uh, (laughs) they were scared to death we moved to Gastonia because... At that point in the early 90s, man, you turn on the news at 6 o'clock and somebody got murdered in Gastonia like every day. It was like a violent place to live. They called it Little Chicago in the late 80s and the early 90s. And I was talking to my friends, that's oh, fine, it's no problem. So they come down, we go to Tony's, we get us a milkshake, and we were parked over in front of the, the little building. There's like a break shop and Tony's and that little building in the middle. We're parked right there, and there was like 25 young adults, college, high school age people right in front. So we're parked there, we come out, they're getting in the car, I'm on the other side, everybody else is getting in the car, and all of a sudden I look up and all these teenage boys are surrounding me. And the biggest one steps out, slaps my milkshake out of my hand to the ground. Come on! (laughs) This is what I did. He got all up in my face, and they were taunting me. Finally, this little dude off to the side said, I think we picked the wrong one. I looked at the kid in front of me, and I said, do you know what scared people do to people like you? Now, my wife and my best friend and their little kids are five feet from me. You got a choice. You can walk away right now or you're going to see what fear does. You say, dude, weren't you on staff at Parkwood? They'd have probably fired you. Nah. Fear under control is courage. Fear under control is cursed. There's there's not a man ever stepped on a battlefield that wasn't shaken inside of his gut. How many of you have ever stepped on a court to play a game that there wasn't some fear down in there somewhere? People ask me, Are you still afraid when you get up to preach? Not of you. Do you understand this? James tells me, I'm going to answer to God for everything I said to you tonight. Every word, every word. That scares me to death. But he told me to do it. So, with courage, I get up here and I talk to you. Now, I'm going to take you back to, uh, you still got the shirt on, buddy? Stand up. I'm going to take you back to 1517. You can have a seat now. (laughs) (laughs) To Wittenberg, Germany, where a young monk who a few years earlier had gone to Italy, to Rome, to worship at the Vatican. He was a good, faithful Catholic monk. And while he was climbing up the steps, he had a twinge of doubt that what he was doing just wasn't right. After he left the Vatican, he was transferred to a monastery in Wittenberg and he was given the assignment to study the Bible. Now this might amaze you, but most monks aren't given access to the Bible at this point in time. Martin Luther was given access to the Bible. He began to study it, and he began to see that what he was seeing in the Bible was contrary to what he had been taught in the Catholic Church. So he began to write, and he began to preach. Now, what you're going to see is really one of the most accurate movies that, that historically I've ever seen. It is the story of Luther's life, and this is the scene to where he stands tribunal, and he is being told, if you don't recant you die. This is actually using the words that were recorded that day as they interviewed Luther and as he spoke. So turn your attention here.
1: Martin Luther, are you the author of these writings? I am. Do you recant what you have written here? I cannot renounce all of my works because they are not all the same. First of those books in which I have described Christian faith and life so simply that even my opponents have admitted that these works are useful. To renounce these writings would be unthinkable, for that would be to renounce accepted Christian truths. He is not here to make speeches, only to answer. The second group of my work is directed against the foul doctrine and evil living of the Pope's past and present. No. Through the laws of the Pope and the doctrines of men, the consciences of the faithful have been miserably vexed and flayed. If I recant these books, I will do nothing but add strength to tyranny and open not just the windows but also the doors to this great ungodliness. He has condemned himself. In the third group, I have written against private persons and individuals who uphold Roman tyranny and have attacked my own efforts to encourage piety to Christ. I confess that I've written too harshly. I am but a man and I can err. Only let my errors be proven by scripture. And I will revoke my work and throw my books into the fire. You have not answered the question. You, Martin Luther, will not draw into doubt those things which the Catholic Church has judged already, things that have passed into usage, right, and observance. The faith that Christ, the most perfect lawgiver, ordained. The faith the martyrs strengthened with their blood. You wait in vain for a disputation over things that you are obligated to believe. Now give your answer. Yes or no. Will you recant, or will you not? Since your majesty and your lordships desire a simple reply, I will answer. Unless... I am convinced by scripture and by plain reason and not by popes and councils who have so often contradicted themselves my conscience is captive to the word of God to go against conscience is neither right nor safe I cannot And I will not recant. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Yeah!
0: say okay why are you showing us something 500 years ago it's because that year as a result of what he did it sparked and started what is now called the protestant revolution or reformation and the gospel spread all throughout europe huge oppression came People got on ships and sailed across to this place and began to set up places to preach the gospel. And literally, because of what he did that day in Wittenberg, the gospel has spread all over the world. Because one man had the courage to say, here I stand, I can do no other. God, help me. This is my prayer for you. That you will realize that the Lord is on your side; that you will not fear. I love the actor, man. He—I don't know exactly what it was like that day, but you can see the courage under control, the fear under control, bringing forth in Luther. So the final question, back to Psalm one, one eighteen six, is: What can man do to me? What's the answer? They can kill you. Now, the Pope decided that to execute Luther would have been a mistake right there. It's very similar to what was going on with Jesus because he would have been a martyr and it would have made him out to a hero, so they decided to have him executed. Luther went out the back. He was swept off. People protected him, and for the rest of his life, he lived in exile, moving from one place to the other as people kept him alive so he could continue to write and preach and spark and to move forward the Protestant Reformation. So, young men and women, I don't know where God's going to lead you. I don't know what God's going to call you to do. I don't know what college you're going to end up, what career you're going to end up, what nation, your state, or wherever it is you're going to live. My prayer is this, that you'll understand what the source of your courage is and that you will not live in fear to this world but that you will say with Luther, here I stand, I can do no other. Now, later, he wrote a hymn, A Mighty Fortress Is Our God. So I'm going to ask you to sing it uh, with us. So team, if you'll come on, make your way up here. A mighty fortress is our God is a realization that the Lord is on our side and that we will Not fear. So let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for the time together in your word. And I pray for these young men and women. Lord, let's just be honest. There's fear of each other going on in this room. So I pray that you will do a work in the hearts and lives of people to save souls and to give courage to stand And may we look to you as our mighty fortress. Guide us now as we sing in Jesus' name,
1: amen.